For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Lincoln Journal Star's Life in the Red podcast. Your host, Luke Mullen, joined by Amy Just and Wilson Moore, our football crew. We're back. We're at it. And it's game week. We finally made it. We've been talking about it for, uh, for weeks, but we're here. To quote my column, the first word, finally. Finally. I'm so done with talking season. I'm just, yep. I am ready for them to hit other people. I'm... You know, this happens every time that there's a new coach with regardless of whatever sport it is. Talking season begins so much earlier and it just feels like the off season drags on for so much longer because with that coaching search, it just it makes it start so much sooner, right? Cuz you're you're talking about the future, you're talking about September and November. Um, and I'm very glad that we have finally arrived uh, with week one or 0.5, I guess, if we want to be technical about yeah. it. A couple days earlier yeah. uh, than, than most teams. But definitely, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's kind of like spinning our tires through the spring. Finally got to fall. Get into camp and it's like, OK, it's here and now we're officially in it. So uh, today, you know, we want to kind of go over a depth chart, how the teams look in starters. Um, who we expect to be out there on on Thursday against Minnesota. Uh, we'll preview that game. We'll give our season record predictions as well. Uh, so look forward to that later in the episode. But let's just start with the personnel, the players um, that we expect to be out there. The first official death chart uh, was released by Nebraska earlier this week. And we'll start on the defensive side of the ball because we've got black shirts today too. Um, those first 11 recipients uh, along the defensive line, Ty Robinson, Nash Hutmaker, and Blaze Gunnerson at linebacker, Luke Reimer, John Bullock, and Chief Borders, and the defensive backs, Quentin Newsom, Deshaun Singleton, Omar Brown, Isaac Gifford, and Malcolm Hartzog. So those first 11 black shirts, Nebraska's going to have more than 11 players on his first team defense, uh, but really solid group and uh, just your impression about those first 11 that they wanted to hand out. I'm not surprised by any of them. Yep. Um, I think if you were to actually listen to, you know, everything that Matt Rule was saying, Tony White was saying, all of the assistants were saying, these are your guys. Um, there will be a few more, um, but these are the ones that before they've even played a snap um, deserve deserve to be here. So none of it's surprising to me whatsoever. I think the interesting thing is too, like Rule's talked a lot about I want everything in the program to be earned, you know, have none of it given. And so I look at those defensive backs, like obviously Quinn Newsom, Isaac Gifford, you know, Malcolm Hartsog to an extent, those guys were, were key, you know, down the stretch, you know, you expect them to come back and be those leaders on the defense. Well, Deshaun Singleton and Omar Brown, I mean, they had like 50 snaps each last year. Like these guys earn that spot in practice, you know, every day, uh, you know, in team meetings and everything. And it's, clear whenever we talk to them, you know, guys in the DB room, they're excited about Singleton and Brown. Yeah, I think uh, Singleton especially. I'm not sure we saw anyone on this team who had the rise he did just from the beginning of training camp 
through where we are now. A lot of praise from coaches. You know, like 10 guys got single-digit numbers, and Deshaun Singleton, a guy who wasn't a major contributor last season, was one of them. I think that speaks volumes for how good he's been this camp and obviously just how much his teammates respect him that they voted for him for that. Singleton with the single digits. Or something. <laughs> Singleton with something the single right about digit. that, right? Yeah. It, wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't feel right otherwise. But um, in particular with this defense, um, some other, you know, notes as that first depth chart came out. Again, you know, most of those players, they were listed as starters or co-starters, um, all of those first 11. Uh, so just looking at the backup defensive linemen right away, um, you know, you have those three starters, Blaze Gunnarsson, he was listed as an or uh, with Cameron Lenhart, the freshman at one of those end spots. Then you got two sophomores, Kai Wallen and Ruquan Buckley as the next two on those two deep. So you've got the veterans starting, Gunnarsson kind of younger, but he's been in the program for a few years. And then a lot of youth behind him. I know we talked about that, um, you know, in past weeks, but that's just the the immediate takeaway there up front. But I think linebacker is an interesting one too. Um, in particular, you know, the different, specific positions that they have in this defense. Um, so you have Nick Henrik. He's listed as a starter on the depth chart. You've got John Bullock and Luke Reimer, who are kind of the same spot there in the middle. Uh, but you look at the black shirts, you know, Bullock and, and Reimer are the first two there. Heinrich isn't there. You know, it, it's just one of those considerations where, again, they're going to have more than 11 playing. Heinrich will be out there, but not part of that first uh, first 11 group. So I did say there weren't any surprises. I lied. That's one of them. Yep. Um, your captain. Yeah, I am very, very interested with that. Um, I like Nick a lot. I've uh, had the opportunity to talk to him one on one in several different situations. Uh, he's been an off the field leader in terms of like a lot of their charity stuff. So I'm just I'm very interested uh, what's going on there. Yeah, If I had to, if anything, yeah. maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. Just, you know, from an outside perspective, I think it's just a case where like Heiner's going to play. Bullock's going to play like, yeah, you know, you, you might start at a spot, you know, you move around, all that stuff is, is in consideration. So those, those linebackers, they're all be out there. And as well, the Jack linebackers, um, MJ Sherman and Jamari Butler, again, listed as co-starters with chief boarders. So we expect those guys to play. Um, they've had good fall camps for what we've heard from everybody. And as well, the defensive backs, um, backup cornerback, Tommy Hill, um, he's expected to to be a major contributor there in the secondary as well. And I was really interested to see Dwight Boodle listed as a backup cornerback because in all honesty, when we saw him in the spring, I was like, this guy is skinny. Like you expect, you know, freshmen enrolling early, you know, there's always going to be that like physical transformation that they have to make. Well, now we see him in the fall and I mean, he, he looks more built. Everybody that, you know, we talked in the DB room, they said he's been learning quick, great learner. Um, just another kind of testament about this, you know, strength, nutrition that we hear from players. Yeah, I think he was a guy who flew a little more under the radar, particularly in the spring. You know, when you think about those early enrollees, I think like Cam Lenhart, who, you know, we know is going to get a lot of playing time. He really stood out. So did Prince Willuman Miel, and they were the guys who came in. It was like, OK, these are college ready guys in what should be their, uh, the, their senior year of high school. Boodle, you didn't hear quite as much about him. But yeah, it seemed like just kind of a steady rise for him. You know, we heard from rule we heard from tony white just that he is a guy making constant progress i hate to use this coach speak cliche but getting better every day and um yeah now uh looks like he's in line to at least get some snaps Absolutely. and i enjoyed hearing from quentin newsome who played with uh, his older brother uh dicaprio boodle about just kind of you know learning that they were brothers and he started calling him lil cap uh reference to uh dicaprio's nickname so 
really cool, I think, you know, for the veteran to have that relationship with him, seeing his older brother, seeing him come along and kind of mentor him. Um, so that's how things kind of stand the defense, how uh, the first depth chart plays out there on offense. Um, first off, the offensive line, first team unit uh, from left to right, Turner Corcoran at left tackle, Ethan Piper, Ben Scott, Norton Newley, and Bryce Benhart. We've kind of expected that for the last two weeks. Those are the guys. Um, only thing that kind of up in the year was that left tackle spot. But again, I mean, Corcoran's been practicing there in the spring. He's been doing it all fall. Uh, so just the consideration is that Teddy Prohaska has just recently returned to practice and freshman Gunnar Gatula listed as the backup left tackle. He's had a, a very impressive start to his Husker career so far. Yeah, um, you wonder what that depth chart would look like if Teddy had been healthy for a significant portion of training camp, but you know, he wasn't. It's great that he's working back. Um, just returned to practice not too terribly long ago. So throwing him in there now, uh, no. Just ease him back. Like, this starting offensive line group is going to be good. Uh, Turner's had a ton of snaps there. He got a ton of snaps there last year. So, you know, it is what it is. You feel bad for Teddy and you hope that he gets back. But hopefully with you know, the talent that they have in that room, that that can allow him to take the time that he needs instead of rushing him back. Absolutely. And I, I kind of took it as kind of like a recognition of his contribution because the rest of the offensive line, you know, it's, they just have two spots, you know, the two deep listed there. But at left tackle, they have the three, they have Prohaska on there, which is to me is like, hey, this guy is important to the team. He's part of our offensive line. We want him on there, even if he's not going to, play week one. That's the expectation. So they're going to move along, uh, see what happens there. Again, good depth uh, to have. He can work back to full strength uh, there at left tackle. But the other interesting spot uh, that stood out to me was running back. And we learned a few days ago uh, last week, uh, Mad Rule talking about how Gabe Irvin, you know, earned that spot. He's been one of the the top performers there, uh, you know, throughout the offseason and here in fall camp. But Ramir Johnson listed as the backup. Anthony Grant at the third string and Emma Johnson at the fourth string. There were some fumble concerns there for Grant. That was the main thing that Rule said. But if I look at that unit, I think, well, it's just, I just feel like that's just going to change so much week to week. Like we can read into it now. Gabe Irvin's going to get a lot of carries against Minnesota. We know that. But I think, you know, week four, week seven, I feel like this particular spot is going to evolve a lot. I think that it's going to be a lot more fluid than it would look like on paper. Sure. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, if Gabe Irvin is your your first, second down back, then you've got, you know, situational backs too, whether you want to wait to throw Anthony Grant into like a third and short situation or a goal line situation because of his fumble stuff, um, you know, do you want to throw Ramir Johnson in when it's more of a, you know, pass catching running back from the backfield type situation? So I'm really interested to see what that looks like on game day, just based off of their specific skill sets and talents and how to exploit the defense and using those uh, to further uh, benefit Nebraska's offense. I think I think something else too about Ramir being the backup. I think he's really good pass protection as well. Which again, you need that for that pass catching role. But just have somebody, you know, it, it all factors into where you're you're finally placed on the depth chart. You know, the o, the overall all around game. 
And also worth noting, Emma Johnson, potential uh, kick returner there too. Uh, he impressed there in fall camp. So he's there at the four string. We'll see how that running back room shakes out. But a couple co-starters uh, were listed here as well. And one that stands out is tight end. Nate Borkacher, he's back. You know, he contributed last year, caught a few passes, but you know, there's the question marks. Thomas Fedoni, you know, he's, he, he's ready. He looks good there in practice, but co-starters, uh, to me, it kind of makes sense because both those guys are going to play a lot. Yeah, yeah, they're going to play quite a bit. Borkacher had, uh, had an impressive spring. He's on scholarship after he was a walk-on earlier, but I think everyone just wants to see what a healthy Thomas Fedoni can do. You know, we haven't seen that in two years, which it's real unfortunate, but all indications say he's ready to go this year. He's healthy. He feels good. And we and Nebraska will finally see, you know, who a healthy Th- Thomas Fedoni looks like, what he can do and what he can bring to this Nebraska offense. Yeah. And and the unfortunate thing is, too, I mean, we're a couple of days before the season starts and to the best of our knowledge, you know, no NCAA decision has been passed down on Arik Gilbert, at least um, you know, that we've had communicated and, you know, rule has been very open about that too. So we'll see, we'll talk to him on Wednesday, on Tuesday, excuse me, um, you know, see if there's any update there, but it's, it's kind of crazy to me. That, I mean, this is the season starts this week. This guy could very well be a contributor for this team and they don't know if, if he's going to be eligible to play. The NCAA is a farce, just period. Like regardless of how, the decision is made whether it's, you know, he gets to play or he doesn't. The NCAA needs to make a decision now. Like, you cannot keep waiting on this. Like, I don't I don't get it. Like, they've made rulings on some other guys mm-hmm. um, around, the le- or around the country, excuse me, and none of that has been good news. So... That's a little concerning. Of course, everybody's situation is, you know, independent and its own thing. But for them not to have made a decision yet that we know of, right? Um, Not a great look for the NCAA. The NCAA, I could write a book on uh, my qualms with the NCAA and just how a terribly run organization it is. And this is just the latest example in that. Um, But a point that I wanted to make earlier with the co-starters at tight end, just knowing the offense like that Marcus Satterfield likes to run, like it really wouldn't surprise me if they do, you know, some two tight end sets, uh, you know, very, very heavy uh, fronts. Um, that wouldn't surprise me at all that they would go through that, whether that's Borkature and Fajoni or if Gilbert gets thrown into the mix, you know, hopefully he's uh, cleared to play whenever that is. Um, but yeah, so I'm keeping an eye on that, just like the the jumbo fronts that they're going to mm-hmm. present because just knowing Marcus's offensive uh, philosophies, that's something that's going to play a big factor into things moving forward. I think I think they complement each other too. Like Borkature mm-hmm. can be kind of that vertical threat that you want there at tight end, Fedoni go underneath. So, hey, let's game plan a little bit here. <laughs> um, but moving on to some of the other uh, final depth chart pieces there, the three starting wide receivers listed in week one, Billy Kemp, Alex Bullock, and Isaiah, Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda. Um, again, worth noting, Marcus Washington coming back to full health. We'll see, you know, what it looks like, his status there against Minnesota. Uh, but presumably, you know, if he's fully healthy, he would be a starter. He's going to be a, a major contributor for this team. And then kicker was still up in the air. T- Tristan Albano, 
and Timmy Bleeker are listed as co-starters. Nebraska trying to get that finalized this week, and we'll see if we get an update on that in the next couple of days. Yeah, like we've said all season, you know, for a kicking competition to come down between the incumbent and a freshman, that's usually never very great for the incumbent. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see who's who's kicking against Minnesota. Whoever trots out there, you know, field goal extra point, I guess we'll, we'll know then. <laughs> that's what a lot of coaches would say if you ask about the depth chart. Oh, you know, you'll see. You'll see when we kick off. You know, so I'm glad at least we have. We have a depth chart, unlike Michigan State. Not release a depth chart. Dumb. Wild to me. Dumb. <laughs> well, because it's going to be interesting moving forward with basically the Big Ten's version of NFL inactives, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which might help in that regard. It's not a depth chart, but you at least would know who and who isn't playing. Yeah. It's an injury updates. Uh, what is it, two hours before kickoff? I think they have to submit um, like two, two and a half hours before kickoff, and then they get distributed um, at some point. The mm-hmm. NFL rule is um, they get sent out to the media um, 90 minutes before kickoff. That's the NFL rule. So an element of that uh, here in college football uh, in the Big Ten uh, to come with uh, player update injuries. Uh, so everybody's a little bit more in the know there on that. So that's kind of what we've had in the last week or so, um, you know, updates on how the team's looking, how guys are lining up. Might as well go a little big picture, uh, look at the season here. We've got a couple questions, a couple topics to discuss. And first off, let's just say, what game are we most looking forward to this year? Colorado. I don't know. I've never been to that stadium. I just, it's a rivalry that, you know, means a lot to Nebraska fans of my generation. So um, my first game in Memorial Stadium was the 2008 Colorado game. Oh, you picked a good one, huh? <laughs> I, I did, I did. <laughs> so like for me, like that just, that game has, you know, sentimental reasons for me. Um, I'm not, I don't identify as a Nebraska fan anymore, but that game is like a core moment for me, core memory for me. So um, that's just for personal reasons. That's yep. the one that I'm looking forward to most, but also just because I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, if I'm also going with the Colorado game, because I think you just look at it as like kind of like the cultural impact too, like Nebraska and Colorado, so much history as you, you touched on there uh, between those teams, between these states. You know, lots of Nebraska fans in Colorado, Colorado fans in Nebraska. Like, you know, there's just so much carryover there. And I think, too, you look at the way that, um, you know, the previous home and home went, you know, 2018, 2019. It was it was a really rough, you know, right, rough, rough experience for Nebraska. So going out there, you know, you, you get the whole rule Dion, you know, situation that I'm sure that's that'll be the national topic rule and Dion, you know, these two big offseason hires. I just think there's so much surrounding this game. Um, for fans, players, you know, national perspective alike, I think it's just going to be an incredible week, uh, a good one to be part of. So we're aligned there on Colorado. You joining us? I am not. I went with Minnesota um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it is home for me. And weirdly, I've actually never covered a game in Minnesota, any sport, anything. So this will be a first for me covering something uh, in my home state. And also it's just kind of, you know, 
like Amy was saying about talking season, it's just, you know, let's, let's get the show on the road. You know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, let's, let's see this, you know, three, three, five and Jeff Sims and everything that has just been talk for the past month. I'm just looking forward to finally seeing everything in action, seeing it actually play out on the field. Forward to getting the pads on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well put you out there. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, but I think, I mean, season opener anytime. And the fact it's on the road, you know, conference opponent. Yeah, there's there's a lot of hoopla there, you know, an, an opponent that's been really tough for Nebraska too. So, yeah, very understandable, but kind of similar but different question than what game would mean the most for Nebraska to walk away with a win? this Well, this is our podcast, so I'm breaking the rules. Um, Minnesota or Wisconsin, I think both of those games would have, like winning either one of those games, or both, I don't know, can't tell the future, would be just so meaningful for the players who have been on this team for a long time and the fans of this team um, might not mean as much to the new guys and this coaching staff um, in terms of like a historical perspective about just how long it's been since Nebraska has beat either one of those teams. And so I think that that would mean the most um, for a historical standpoint, but um, breaking the rules again. Um, if they beat Michigan, I think that would be one to remember too, but I'm not holding my breath for that. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be quite the result. But I, I agree. I mean, these top Big Ten West teams, yeah, the divisions are going away, but I mean, these are who they've been battling with for years. Uh, yeah, very impactful to beat either of them. And I'm kind of going similar. I'm going to say Iowa. Um, yes, it's a huge rival, but to me, it's more like what like when was the last time Nebraska had like a really impactful like week 12 win? Like yes, last year was great, you know, for that experience for the players, you know, to go into Iowa and win, but you know, they weren't they weren't playing for a bowl, you know, they weren't playing to like take their season up another notch. So, I just have a feeling that again, it's just going to come down to that Iowa game like it always does. I feel like they're going to be right on the line of bowl eligibility, you know, whatever that is. I just feel like that game that game is going to mean a lot this year. Week so going with that, and looks like we're sticking we're sticking the Big Ten West with you. We are, yeah. I said Illinois, and that's not a super like glamorous uh, team or program, but I feel like that's a real stepping stone for Nebraska. You know, that would be, I think it's you know attainable, and um, you know that's a team that has kind of done what Nebraska is trying to do over the past couple of years: get uh, bring in a new coach and get back to this kind of level of sort of baseline respectability, and that's what Nebraska is trying to do. And I think beating Illinois would be a step in doing that. Certainly, yeah. So we've we've mentioned quite a few of the the matchups, the opponents that they're going to be facing this year. So might as well make a, a season prediction about what Nebraska's 2023 record will be. So I am in the minority on this one. I think they're going to go five and seven, just knowing with what we know right now. Um, I know lots of people are going to be mad at me for that, um, but I would rather undersell my expectations and have them exceed them than be disappointed. So, but with five and seven, that doesn't mean there wouldn't be a bowl game necessarily, uh, because when five and seven teams are needed for bowl games, the criteria for how they select those, Nebraska is always at the top. 
um, in terms of graduation success rate and everything else that they look into in and then including, you know, some external factors like, oh, how many fans are going to, you know, buy these tickets. So Nebraska is always a top uh, opportunity for that if they need another five and seven team. I just don't quite think that they'll get to six and six this season, but maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, I'll be happy to be wrong. Yeah, it's a it's a tough road to find those six wins. You know, there's like four, you know, that you can maybe say, okay, this is, you know, the the expectations. We would have said that at the beginning of last year too. Like these are the games you expect them to win. So you don't know, you never know how things are going to shake out. But that being said, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict six and seven, that including a bowl game loss. I'm gonna say six and six regular season for Nebraska. Because I think I think this year's team is better than last year's. I think look at all those one score games, you know, eventually you feel like that's going to have to, you know, equalize a little bit. And a big part of that is coaching too. I mean, everything that rule has been talking about winning the fourth quarter, like being physical, you know, earning that, that right to, you know, win these games, you know, play tough. I think that's going to pay off, you know, to the tune of closer, you know, margins in some of those, some of those aspects. So I think that there should be a win improvement it might be one, it might be two. So that's why I'm saying six and seven uh, for Nebraska's record. Yeah, I'm with you, Luke. Said six and uh, six and seven bowl game loss. I was I was on the edge of five or six wins. Um, but I think they get to six. I think they maybe beat one team. They shouldn't. Not Michigan, but um, you know, I think they. Uh, I think they have. I think they have a game where they play a little uh, better than just kind of their baseline expectation. And I think in our uh, preview, shooting Adam going to the Quick Lane Bowl. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I am. Yeah, so we're all we're all kind of in the same area there about those expectations, and um, hey, we'll see if they can pick up that first crucial win of the Matt Rule era. Uh, moving on to Minnesota, a little bit of a preview here. Uh, again, we'll be there in Minneapolis, so excited to see what the team looks like out there on the field. But uh, quickly to kind of discuss, you know, how we think this matchup's going to play out. Uh, this Minnesota offense, I think, will look a little bit different than what it did last year when they were here on the road in Lincoln. Um, if you remember that game, quarterback Athen Kalimanakis, uh, he came in for Tanner Morgan, played about half of the game, led the comeback. And then you have some different aspects of this usually very kind of rushing-oriented offense. Muhammad Ibrahim, who Nebraska fans got to know very well over the years, he's gone. He's finally graduated. That's not a joke. He's officially exhausted his eligibility. <laughs> um, so they have, a, they have a Western Michigan transfer, Sean Tyler, in as well as uh, three starters gone from the offensive line. But one of the reasons why I, I still think Minnesota is going to be really solid offensively is you know, they've, they've got offensive linemen who have been, you know, in big, in these big strength programs, nutrition programs, same thing Nebraska is trying to do. They've been doing that for two, three years, learning how, how to play the offense that, uh, that PJ Fleck wants. Yeah, they've quietly turned into kind of Wisconsin in that regard over the past few years, just trotting out these, you know, five, 300 pounders on the line uh, every year. In Wisconsin, they all grew up on dairy farms, but in, don't know the story in Minnesota, but... Um, on frozen lakes, maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that will be interesting because they do have, they did lose three starters on that line. So it's it'll be a relatively untested group, which I think makes for an interesting matchup going up against a similarly untested Nebraska defensive line. You know, we'll see a lot of new fa faces there. I think that specific matchup will go a long way in how the rest of the game goes. Yeah, and also very solid um, uh, skill positions, particularly the pass catchers that they have. 
uh, brought in two big transfer wide receivers, Corey Crooms, also from Western Michigan, and Elijah Spencer from Charlotte. These guys were 50, 60 catch guys, 800 yards last year, um, you know, at a little bit lower level. So they'll be looking to make that jump there. As well, Chris Ottman Bell, a very, very good wide receiver for Minnesota. Uh, he's back from injury from last year. And then they have an excellent tight end, Brevin Span Ford, uh, going to be a future NFL draft pick right there. So a lot of talent for them on offense. What I'm interested is, does that defensive line, you know, can they force pressure? You know, can they establish the line of scrimmage? Because we've seen teams like Minnesota just have the ability to go three, four yards of carry first quarter, second quarter. You know, they just keep it rolling a lot of the times. I guess we're going to find out, aren't we? Um, what interests me the most about this matchup, like we've talked about, is how they'll look on offense and how they'll, how Nebraska's defense will stack up. I have no idea the inverse and how that will go. So I'm excited, though. Absolutely. And worth noting about the Minnesota defense, too, usually their strong point, I mean, they were top five, top 10 scoring defense last year. Um, so about half their starters are gone. Um, some new guys coming in. Very solid up front on the defensive line, I think. I think the linebacker is really their weak spot. Lose their leading tackler, lose a lot of contributors there. A couple of departures in the secondary, but Tyler Newbin, safety there. Uh, he's one to watch out for. Another future NFL draft pick there as well. So a lot of talent back, you know, about half the starters. So experience program, you know, that'll play into things starting off at home. Um, but here's a question for what we think about Nebraska. First offensive play, they're lining up. What do you think they're going to call? Fullback dive. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> that would be excellent. I'm, I, I'm down for it. I wouldn't hate it. Uh, that's what I would want to see. Um, but um, as long as it's not a bubble screen, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Definitely. I think I think Gabe Irvin interior carry is, uh, is a pretty safe. It's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, yeah. That, that was gonna be uh, <laughs> that was gonna be my call. I think they have spent so much time over the offseason saying, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball. I'd be very surprised if they didn't back that up right away. Well, excellent segue into our next question here. We always have a, a hot topic uh, to discuss for these matchups before we get out of here. Uh, so that for this week, uh, week one, what do we think Nebraska's run, pa run pass balance is going to look like? Say 60-40. Any... Uh, Anything you're looking for there? Is that a good, good I, number? I just want them to establish the run and not go away from it if it isn't working. Um, try different things. You know, you've got four running backs that are listed on your two deep. You know, try different things. Incorporate your fullbacks. Um, see what happens there. I do not want them to abandon it if Minnesota's defensive front stops one particular aspect of it try new things see if that works um but yeah that's that's what i want to see 60 40 yep i think i think that's pretty accurate because you know sims is gonna he's gonna pick up some carries too and i think in particular too i think i think that they want this pass game to be play action you know to to run as a result of the rushing attack you know make make the the defenses you know commit some defenders up in the box try to hit them over the top so I agree with you. I think it could, I think it could even be like 65-35, depending on you know how successful things are. I just think for all the reasons that you said too, they want to run the ball. They want to kind of make that statement. I think in week one, it's a great opportunity to test themselves against a good big, big 10 front in Minnesota. So if they do get down, obviously they'll throw it like they have to, but I don't think 
you know, third quarter, if they were down by 10, they're going to keep running the ball. And that's, that didn't happen last year. So I think in, in this situation, uh, look for, for a lot more rushing this week. Yeah. I, I was going to say 60, 40 as well. I think, you know, um, I don't think we're in an era of football where you can do the true football, you know, romanticized, you know, we're going to run the ball in nine out of 10 plays like the 1950s, but they're going to do it as much as I can. I think. I'd love to see that. You know, you get like one <laughs> yard, two yards, and I mean, you if they, punt it, and then you go back and just do it again. I mean, if, if Nebraska wants to become a triple option team, that's on the table. <laughs> <laughs> did you catch Did you catch any of the uh, Notre Dame-Navy game there? Uh, just, just a little yep. bit. Just a little. They, they still had the triple option. I think it was <laughs> halftime I saw the scoreline. The Navy quarterback was like 0 for 1, you know, zero yards, like six carries. I'm like, oh, that's a, a triple option stat line for a quarterback if I've ever seen one. So <laughs> Beautiful. Have you seen... A triple option game like IRL live? I, no, I don't. My, yeah. my, my final game on the uh, Missouri football beat when I was in college was the Armed Forces Bowl in a uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Missouri lost to Army, um, running through maybe five times all game. It was great. What a beautiful, beautiful thing! Many, many ways to play uh, a college football game. So. As we figure out how this one's going to shake out, we'll close out this episode, as we always do, with our score predictions. Uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, what do we got? Minnesota 28, Nebraska 21. Um, I'm sticking pretty true to uh, Vegas in terms of over-under and spread. Yep, I have the exact same score. Um, (laughs) Promise I didn't copy that. No, Uh, no. Totally independent trains of thought here, but... 28-21, 28-21, I think, you know, Minnesota's won the last three by a touchdown. That's been historically the trend. I think that's just going to stick a, uh, stick consistent this year, um, you know, for some of the same reasons, like the talent level that they have. They've been developing guys for several several years. I think some of those talent disparities will break through, and I think the result is a seven-point gap. Yeah, I agree with both of you. That is a seven-point gap. I have 24-17 in favor of Minnesota. I think the Gophers are the better team. I think Nebraska has enough to stick around and fight 24-17. Yeah, and I mean, when it's when it's a one-score game, penalties, turnovers, anything can flip the script. So, uh, you know, we'll see if those predictions are true. They stack up. As I said, we'll be there. Uh, we'll be excited uh, to see the Huskers take the field. Uh, lots more coverage to come on journalstar.com. Also, quick shout-out, we got Volleyball Day in Nebraska coming up this week. Uh, Amy will be there, Wilson. You'll be checking things out, making sure that event goes smoothly. So best of luck with that and and everything uh, to do with that. So make sure to to check out for some volleyball coverage as well. But that's all we've got today for for the life in the red. Uh, we'll be back at it, you know, with a little bit of game reaction next week. We'll have more preview uh, for the upcoming non-conference games to come. As always, we appreciate all of your listeners and viewers for sticking with us. And we'll see you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.